Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Well, speaking for Father Jonathan and myself, that's our story, and we're sticking with it. <laughs> because you see, the real founder of the church is Jesus. Many people celebrate Pentecost as the birthday of the church. But you could say that it also began with the call of the first disciples. Others might want to take it back all the way to the call of Abraham and the chosen people of God. But you see, Jesus was involved in that too. So all along, from the very beginning, the story is of Jesus and his love. And the story is ongoing. And that's why we don't want to dwell too much on the past, but primarily be open to what God is doing in the present and what we can expect him to do in the future. My father is working still, Jesus tells us, and I am working. And God speaks through his prophet Isaiah, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? Always forward, everywhere forward. That is the motto of the Anglican Church in North America of which we are a part. And it could well be the motto of 85% of the world's Anglicans who have recently broken communion with the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Church of England unless they repent of their move away from the teaching of the apostles and the faith once delivered to the saints. The apostolic and Catholic faith that has been faithfully transmitted to us over the centuries, and it is our responsibility to hand it on to future generations. And departure from it by the church's leaders not only confuses the faithful members in the pews, but also is an impediment to the mission of the church and to reach others who are not yet of his body. See, bishops are called to be guardians of the faith. And what the Anglican bishops meeting in Kigali, Rwanda, have done as leaders of the majority of the provinces of the Anglican Communion is on a much larger scale the kind of thing that we did as a parish in 2005 when we left the Episcopal Church in order to remain within the one holy Catholic and apostolic church that we profess in the creeds. As the Ugandan bishop expressed it, you lost the building, but you got the church. <laughs> we got the church because 89% of the people who are the church chose to leave a building. But we also got the church with a capital C in the sense that we chose to remain with the vast majority of Christians throughout the world and throughout the ages. These are exciting times in which we're living when it seems like a new reformation and reordering is happening, not just in the Anglican communion, but in the church as a whole. In the words of one of our prayer book prayers, 
we can see that things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. The church is a signpost of the kingdom of God, but it is not, it is not yet synonymous with the kingdom of God because it's made up of sinful people who continue to be in need of sanctifying grace. And that's why the Christian life is always forward-looking and not backward-looking. Since the best is always yet to be, and the good, however good it is, is frequently the enemy of the best. What does St. Paul say? One thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Only let us hold true, he says, to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So it's still appropriate on Founders Day to give a brief history of how we've come to the present time. But I think you'll find that where we've been in the past is consistent with where we are now and where we're hoping to go in the future. And furthermore, the history is really his story, the story of how God has worked through us from the start, because apart from him, there's no way we would be where we are today or where we hope to be tomorrow. In the interest of time, I decided to make the history of our parish as I've experienced it available to you as a handout because I want to concentrate in my portion of the sermon today on the present and the future because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And unfortunately, that handout didn't get printed, so we'll <laughs> look forward in the coming weeks. <laughs> as I said, these are exciting times in which we're living because God is clearly on the move. We can see it in the explosive growth of the church in the world, even in places where it is suppressed and persecuted. Who would have thought, for instance, that one of the places where the church seems to be growing the fastest today is in Iran? Or that the place where the church has grown the fastest in the last four decades is communist China? Growth is taking place at a significant rate in the vast majority of the worldwide Anglican communion as well. So if the average Anglican today is a woman in her 30s in sub-Saharan Africa living on less than $4 a day. This is offset, of course, by the cultural captivity and decline of Christianity in the West and in the United States. In a recent study, Pew Research projects that if current trends continue, by the year 2070, Christians will like, likely make up less than half of the U.S. population. Currently, 64% of people that are surveyed say they are Christian. But nearly a third of those raised Christian eventually switch to none or nothing in particular while only 20% of those raised without religion 
become Christian. So if that ratio of switching continues at a steady pace, then in roughly half a century, only about 46% of Americans will identify as Christian. Of course, as one of the Pew researchers observed, that rate of change could slow down. And there's probably a core of Christians who are committed and never going anywhere. Revivals do, do take place in the history of the people of God because God remains faithful even though his people don't always remain so. And that kind of thing, I thought the first rest reading was going to be from the prophet Hosea, and so this is what why it ties in. This kind of thing was happening in the prophet Hosea's day. Remember, Hosea was called to marry a prostitute who frequently was unfaithful to him, but whom Hosea kept on taking back as a sign of God's faithfulness, even when his people were not. In spite of repeated unfaithfulness on the part of his people, the steadfast love of God is expressed in such words as, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that early goes away. And in later passages, the Lord cries out, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. It's because he knows the faithfulness of God that Hosea can say, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he might heal us. He has struck us down that he, he will bind us up. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. See, over the course of Christian history, times of revitalization and renewal have taken place in some of the darkest times and places. The Clapham movement that grew from 18th century evangelical trends in the Anglican church and included such luminaries as William Wilberforce and Charles Simeon led to the abolition of the slave trade, penal reform, laws restricting child labor, the founding of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, and the support of missions at home and abroad. In our own country, there have been a number of so-called great awakenings that have had a transforming effect on the manners and morals of many. Historians, historians generally agree upon three, but the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, whose story is told in the recent movie, the Jesus Revolution, can be accounted as a fourth. And the more recent Asbury renewal might also qualify as a fifth. So there's always hope based on the nature of God who raises the dead and brings light out of darkness. And after all, we know the end of the story in the book of Revelation. We also have Jesus' promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. It was during the Dark Ages that the priests and monks, after the barbarian invasions in the fall of Rome, saved the treasures of classical literature along with the Holy Scriptures and the writings of the early church fathers and preserved them for the future. And these documents form the basis of our own Western civilization, which is again under attack 
in our day. In spiritually dark times and places, Christ has always had his witnesses so that the light continues to shine in the darkness. And we have his promise that the darkness will not overcome it. Semper reformanda. That's the motto of the Anglican, American Anglican Council on whose board I sit and where our former associate, Mark Eldridge, serves on the staff as director of Anglican Revitalization Ministries. They played an instrumental and highly influential role behind the scenes in the formation of the Anglican Church in North America in the Global Anglican Futures Conference and the Cairo Conference and the most recent Kigali Conference. So I commend them to your prayers and support. Their website and regular emails also provide a good way to keep up on current happenings in the Anglican Communion and elsewhere. Anglican.inc, I-N-K, and Anglican Unscripted are other great resources in this regard. Semper Reformanda, the church is always in need of being reformed. It is, has been understood, unfortunately, in our, our day to mean that the church needs to change its doctrine as the Spirit re reveals new truths for a new day. Yet the first use of the phrase included the additional words, secundum verbi dei. In other words, the church is always in need of being reformed according to the word of God. And I think that's what we see happening in our day. As C.S. Lewis said, we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. Or as a former dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London put it, whoever marries the spirit of the age will find himself a widower in the next. Who knows what the future will bring? As someone has said, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And we know, as the hymn writer puts it, God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. And all we can do is nothing worth unless God blesses the deed. Yet nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that shall surely be. When the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Now, now pass the baton to Father Jonathan, and you will find in the printed history, when you get it, <laughs> joined the staff quite providentially in 2004, just before we made the decision to leave the Episcopal Church. And I say providentially because of his background in communications, because he knew that we needed to communicate clearly the reason for our decision and to get our press release out first. And we did this, and the diocese of Northwest Texas then responded with their own press release. And when the reporter, whom we had been talking to, came to it with the Dawson release in her hand and said, I don't understand what, what this is saying. He said in one of his famous quotes, welcome 
to the Episcopal Church. <laughs> In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Everything was great about Founders Day until you found out there'd be two sermons. <laughs> right? Uh, so, uh, Thank you to Father John, without whom this church would not be here. And thank you to Henry uh, for our present day and our future. The Bible says something very specific about the founders of Christ's church, uh, like uh, Father John and Henry and about you today and about our future. St. Luke told us in the book of Acts about a Jew named Apollos who was, quote, quite eloquent, fervent in spirit, and who taught accurately about Jesus. Kind of like Father John, right? No wonder people began to follow Apollos, and no wonder others sort of stuck with Paul. And uh, there was... Uh, couple forks in the road. And so it's also no wonder that Paul pointed to the fact that he and Apollos and our founders and leaders at this church, as Father John said, are really all about doing one single thing, that is helping each of us to seek after, to find and enjoy the love of Jesus in our hearts, in our families, in our relationships. It's not about the guys and the gals up here. It's about Jesus and you. It's about your heart, your yearning, your hopes, and your relationship with God. As Paul put it, I planted, Apollos watered, but only God gives the growth, for we are God's workers. We are God's field, God's building. And that, as Father John said, is what we celebrate and thank God for today, Jesus's workers, Jesus's mission field, Jesus's building, not just a few leaders, however wonderful they may be, not just buildings, however fantastic they are becoming, but Jesus's workers, Jesus's mission field, Jesus's building, i.e. the church, the people, you. In a word, Jesus himself and all that he has given us in the past is giving us today and will give us in the future. In a sense, we are all founders of this wonderful church family, for we have each been found by Christ. We are seeking to find him in our daily lives and faith and to help others find him so our most important task on Founders Day is to say thank you above all to Jesus and for all those he called before us and all those he calls today to continue founding this great movement on our part of it. So we do say thank you, Lord Jesus, and Father John, and Father Henry, and Rip, and for soon to arrive, uh, Pastor Matt Taylor and his wife, Kati, and their children. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for vestry members, ministry leaders, volunteers over the years, all of you who cook 
or pray or set up chairs or sing or visit the sick or give financially. All critical roles in this beautiful founding of this church family and in our own finding of Christ. Now, if you are just sitting there quietly this morning wondering about all this, or you're a guest and you don't know what the heck is going on, or you are distracted or dealing with challenges or struggling with faith, please know there is a reason you are here. You too have been found by Christ, and He invites you to keep on that journey of, journey of finding Him in your life. Remember the prodigal, the father of the prodigal son came running. Jesus comes running to you on the same level, not on a mountaintop, as we heard at the men's retreat this weekend, not above you. You don't have to climb up to Him. He's throwing His arms around you and wants to love you. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, do take Christ's hand this morning and let Him love you and know that the people to your right and left are committed to walk with you. We walk together because each of us are Christ's beloved. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.